Welcome to Unbooking the Tankatory, the bonus series from Unbooking the Territory, where we look at the in-ring career of Tank Abbott. This week, it's a one-man's meet takeover. Welcome to Tank Talks. Danny, how are you? Yeah, really well, thank you, mate. Um, it's heating up a bit outside uh, here in London, so it's not too bad. How about yourself, mate? Uh, well, I say I normally say I'm better than I deserve to be, mate, but we've had a little bit of a tummy bug going around the Bellis household, so uh, I was feeling a bit rough, but things are starting to pick up now, thankfully. Oh, that's good to hear, mate. That's good to hear. And of course, I'm all set to talk about some WCW Thunder with you again. Oh yeah, definitely, mate. Me too. So let's get into it. Let's get into it indeed. So, folks, as you've probably realised from the sounds of our glorious voices, Rob and Dan are still enjoying a much-deserved break from the Tank Abbott-related goodness and have given Danny and I the keys to the unbooking the Tankatory cupboard as we break down the times where WCW's hardest man wasn't punching people into oblivion. And this week, we have the August 2nd, 2000 episode of WCW Thunder. Or should I say, WCW Segment Palooza, mate. Oh yeah, it definitely is that, wasn't it? (laughs) It was. I mean, um, an awful lot happens um, even before the first hour is up. So we do have an awful lot to break down today, my friend. Even something that isn't on the network broadcast. But before we do... Oh, hang on, mate. I'll just go and get the door. Oh, um, I, I suppose you'd, you'd better come in. Just mind your feet on the rug. Danny, you're never going to believe this one, mate. It's the ghost of Paul Bearer. Oh, wow. He's here. <laughs> oh, yes. I am here, creatures of the night. Randy told me that you've been quite welcoming of dead wrestling personalities. Well, we seem to have been, Paul. Um, Ever since Stu Hart took it upon himself to stretch Hank Abbott, we seem to have become some type of portal between the living world and wrestling heaven. Isn't that right, Danny? We certainly have, mate, yeah. That's most certainly correct, boys. And there's seemingly very little you can do about it. Oh, yes. Well, well, I mean, I I could always be a little bit more professional and not answer the door when I'm broadcasting. Well, tough titties, boys. I'm here now. And I have a bone to pick with you too. Um, why, Paul? What, What have we done? Well, boys, it's been brought to my attention that you boys have a spin-off series called Cold Cuts, which are designed to be shorter in order to bring more content to the meatsiders, haven't you? 
Well, thank you for the plug, Paul. Uh, yes, we, we most certainly do, but uh, I don't see how that would upset you. Can you think of any reason why, Danny? Not at all, no. Um, we're very sorry, mate. Oh, you're sorry, are you? Well, Christopher, did you ever collect the WWF trading cards back in 1992? Um, I did, Paul. Why, why do you ask? Well, if you recall looking at the back of my Undertaker's card, you'll know that his favourite food was cold cards. Therefore, you are in direct infraction of my client's gimmick, and I may be forced to sue. Well, that's hardly fair, Paul. We didn't do it on purpose. We just like a nice meat-based pun over at One Man's Meat Towers, don't we, Danny? We certainly do. And again, we, we're very, very sorry to uh, have stepped on your toes here. Well, you may be sorry, boys, but I'm surprisingly litigious. So you find yourselves in a bit of a pickle. Oh, come on, Paul. There must be some way past this. Well, fellas, maybe we could come to some arrangement. Christopher, do you have any cold cuts in your fridge? Well, I've got some corned beef in there for my lunch tomorrow, Paul, but but surely ghosts don't need sustenance anymore, do they? Well, no, but as you can see, I'm still a bit of a fat bastard. Oh, yes! Well, all right, Paul. I suppose I could have some bread and butter or something. That's what you think, Christopher. I'm going to eat that as well and drink all of your beer. I'm like the tiger who came to tea, you see. Off you go then, Paul. Cost of living crisis be damned. <laughs> they never come to your house, do they, Danny? No, they certainly don't. Um, it'll be hard for them to get in. <laughs> <laughs> well, we shall soon see. I mean... Uh, you would have thought ghosts would have walked through walls, but it turns out they need to knock on doors to be let in. And invited, of course, a lot like vampires. Who'd have thought, eh? Yeah, definitely, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, before Paul Bearer does indeed help himself to the contents of my craft beer cupboard, we are a UTT property, mate. So what are you drinking tonight? Uh, tonight I'm just having a warm cherry Coke because I forgot to put it in the fridge. <laughs> Well, that's quite suitable for the weather, though, isn't it? We all like a bit of uh, a bit of Coca-Cola now and again, so why not? Yeah, definitely. What are you having, mate? Well, mate, as I mentioned, we've had a little bit of a tummy bug going on at uh, Bellis Towers, so um, I'm taking it relatively easy and something a bit more binding. So I'm just going back to an old favourite. I'm just having a nice cold Guinness just to get some iron into my system after everything that I've thrown out of there over the past 24 hours. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like a plan. It certainly does, son. And what also sounds like a plan is to dive headfirst into this episode of Thunder. So shall we crack on with it? Yep, let's do it, mate. 
Well, old son, we've missed another Nitro this week as Tank wasn't on it. And while it was a good episode, there isn't really a lot to recap. Uh, But points of note are that Lance Storm is now a three-belt champion, having beaten Lieutenant Loco for the Cruiserweight title. And I know that Lance Storm doesn't like Vince Russo very much, but you can't deny that this was a fun way to build someone, wasn't it? It really was, mate. And I, I see parallels between this version of Landstorm and what WWF was doing with Kurt Angle. Um, and yeah, yeah, he, he was really being built up very, very well. Yeah, that is a really good point. And they kind of had very similar characters, didn't they? In that I know Kurt Angle played his more for comedy when he first came onto the scene, but they were both pretty much lauding the fact that they were superior wrestlers from a technical aspect so therefore you know they could kind of big themselves up a little bit more so yeah that's a good parallel between those two actually yeah yeah and yeah uh, to me I mean, this was his most entertaining he'd ever be to be honest with you I mean we'll get into it later because this is certainly his show um oh, but definitely. I, I, I mean I haven't seen any of the ECW stuff um but to me from what I've seen this is the most entertaining I've seen Landstorm Oh, nice one. Well, we'll have to rectify that at some point over at One Man's Meet, mate, because, yeah, um, this guy has pretty much taken his ECW character and carried it across wholesale to a a much bigger audience. Oh, brilliant. I mean, it's a shame he didn't bring the rat tail, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Who'd have thought that, uh, you know, five years after a haircut like that was relevant, Landstorm brought it to ECW's first (laughs) pay-per-view? Yeah. But also on this episode of Nitro, Danny, the guy that we were led to believe was Sting finally took his balaclava off and was revealed to actually be Sting. (laughs) Who'd have thought? Wow, it certainly was a mystery. It was. And I mean, there were certainly many people over the years that would dress as him for heel effect. But uh, yeah, it, it was nice for once for this not to be a swerve, bro. Yeah, it certainly was, mate. And any time we get more Sting on television is a good thing, so, yeah. Oh, totally, totally. Like, even now when he's far from being in his prime, he's, he's one of the bright spots of AEW for me. Yeah, big time. So the Stinger ended up having two matches on Nitro with uh, Jeff Jarrett and then Booker T in the main event, where a number of shenanigans led to our eight-man tag tonight. But we'll we'll get to that soon, as the blurb from the network tells us that Booker T, Sting and Chronic joined forces to battle Jeff Jarrett, the Great Muta, Vampiro and the Demon in an eight-man tag team elimination match. Triple champion Landstorm defends his three titles in three separate matches against Juventud Guerrera, Screaming Norman Smiley and Ernest the Cat Miller. But Danny, it's a Vince Russo show, so there's going to be a ton more than that to come, isn't there? Oh, there certainly is, mate. We've got a lot of characters on this show. We totally do. But sadly, we don't get a quick fire recap again this week. But what that does mean is that we get that awesome year 2000 Thunder theme instead. I mean, it's a corker, isn't it? Oh, it really is. It just fit the time perfectly. Um, I love the way that the uh, video plays as well over the, with the theme song as well. Um, who, who actually sings? Is this Metallica? Um, I don't think it is, mate. No. Uh, knowing knowing TNT, it's Stay it's up. probably one of those stock themes that you know you could probably download no problem now. 
I, I think it's Slayer. Um, I just said that wrong. Yes, Slayer. Um, here comes the pain. That's their two songs. Oh, right. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll be honest then. Given as I'm someone that likes the metal, I've not really heard a lot of Slayer. I've heard Radiant Blood, but that's about it, really. Yeah. So, mate, we also get a new commentary set up for tonight as Tony, I wish I could wear a cool mask like Excalibur, Shivani, and Mike, please come back to wrestling today, are joined by the debuting Stevie Ray. And he does a relatively okay job for a first attempt, although he is going to say a few daft things, but he does get a lot better as the weeks go on. Oh, that's some that's good news to hear because um, yeah, I like this little team. But yeah, you're, you're dead on about um, Mike today. We all do wish he would come back to wrestling at least in some capacity. Oh yeah, and he absolutely seems to be on his best form on this episode of Thunder as well, doesn't he? Like, there's a lot of times where he really drags the remaining two members of commentary out of the dirt, doesn't he? Yeah, great way of saying it, mate, because. Tony Schiavone at this time has admitted he just wasn't motivated. Stevie Ray is kind of new here. Well, he is brand new. So, Mike, today I looked at as the lead man in this. Oh, yeah. And there's there's just elements with Stevie. I I don't know whether it's first night nerves. I don't know whether it's just because that's the kind of person he was. But at some points, he just wasn't listening to what was being said. So, like, somebody would make something perfectly clear about what was going on. And then he'd ask a question related to what he should have just picked up based on what was being said, which uh, made for quite a bit of unintentional comedy, didn't it? Yeah, it certainly did. (laughs) But we get Lance Storm to open proceedings tonight. And as we've mentioned before, he's got this excellent heel character now with the whole I'm not from your country, so I'm better than you vibe. And just like he did with the other titles... He's renaming the Cruiserweight title to the Canadian 100 kilograms and under championship. Now, this brings out the cat to say that Storm is defending a title tonight. And I've got to say, Danny, I loved Storm's cocky response here as well. Which one, cat? I've got a bunch of them. <laughs> that was really cool. And this is a really good little touch for Lance Storm because the Cruiserweight division meant so much in WCW. I'm just really getting into it on Nitro Nights and you can see that's one of their main identities so for Lance Storm to take that away it would definitely get the fans hating him. Yeah most definitely and again you know they're in an absolutely fantastic part of the world uh, with, with regards to Patriots over here because Storm is certainly getting a lot of the heat from the crowd tonight isn't he? Yeah he really is. So Kat is a person that does everything he can for the fans and he thinks that they want to see title matches. So tonight, Storm is defending the Canadian 100 kilograms and under championship against Juventud Guerrera, the Saskatchewan Hardcore Invitational title against Norman Smiley and the WCW Canadian heavyweight title against the Cat himself. So Storm is going to be put through the ringer quite a bit tonight, mate, isn't he? Yeah, he certainly is, mate. And uh, he's got a lot to prepare for because three different match types as well. Exactly. And he doesn't get time to research or prepare as it's time for the first title defence of the night as Juventud Guerrera comes out with the filthy animals. And I'll tell you what, Danny, whether these guys are face, heel or tweeners, there is one word for this faction, Danny, and that's entertaining. And I'm actually sorry that Conan and Disco didn't get to do a promo this week. 
<laughs> greatly said mate yeah they very are entertaining i just wish we had the original theme music but yeah they're still good yeah the network dub this week wasn't much to write home about was it no and uh we'll get into someone else's uh theme that has been, that has been changed um which i found very disappointing uh, but yeah yeah I'm sure we will. And again, it might be the same problem I have with the network dub later on as well. But we can't start this match just yet as Storm has brought his Canadian rule booklet, saying that this has to be under scientific rules. Therefore, the rest of the animals have to head to the back. And this is the kind of thing I love from heel champions, Danny. This is what they should be doing, looking for an advantage anywhere. And I think this really does add something to Storm's character as well. Yeah, it really does, mate. And it's like we're having a cruiserweight championship match without the cruiserweight action involved, so you can't leave the ring or anything like that. So I really like that. Yeah. So Storm jumps Hoovy to start, but gets caught in a Hoovy driver to send him outside. We get a big flip dive over the top, which takes Storm down again, but he avoids a high crossbody back inside. Hoovy then drops Storm with a falling springboard splash, and then loads Storm up onto the top for another Frankensteiner for two. But Storm stops a charge with a boot in the corner, only to walk into a bulldog. Storm manages to roll away from the 450 splash before quickly countering a Frankensteiner into the Canadian maple leaf to retain the title. And this was a really fun opener, Danny. Um, Landstorm really got the best out of Hoovy here, who I must be honest, in the last few weeks watching him on Thunder has been really impressive. But Storm starts the night here at 1-0. and oh. And what do you think to this match, mate? Really enjoyed it, yeah. Um this just showed uh, that, like you said about the Canadian rule book, it just showed that Landstorm got the advantage and, yeah, he's, head, he's more than ready to head into the other two title defences. Oh, yeah. And again, you know, these these title defences are really going to expose Landstorm's character. So, yeah, we will talk about that later. But first of all, we cut to commentary and we get some explanation that Stevie Ray is now on commentary as a result of him interfering in Booker T and Goldberg's business a few weeks back. And I must say, this really plays to the fact that everybody gets a story. And I I really liked this background into, you know, Stevie Ray got involved one too many times. So therefore, the popping him on commentary to keep him out of the way. I thought it was a really clever touch to let him kind of heal up from whatever injury he was dealing with. Yeah, absolutely, mate, and keep him on television because he really is entertaining. He is, and then the announcers show us a clip from After Nitro with Chronic running in to save Booker T and Sting from the beating that they were getting, which then ended up setting up the eight-man for later on. And I've got to say, I, I really liked stuff like this, the, the same as I was saying a couple of weeks ago where I actually loved how the Nitros and Thunders used to finish really abruptly. The fact that they show that the cameras keep rolling to show you stuff like this. And actually, we we actually get this from the latest episode that you've reviewed of Nitro for Nitro Nights with Psy, where the last bit they showed you was actually a bonus. So little like snippets like this, are, I think they're quite cool in kind of showing how these stories have developed, really. Yeah, you're dead on, mate, with that. And it's, it's just some, I think I said it on the Nitro Nights show, I think I just wish that we had 
uh, like someone would just release all of those what happened after Nitros in like the WWE Network would just have that somewhere. I mean, they own all the footage. Why haven't we seen every? Because they had to record everything, didn't they? I mean, even something like putting up the ring, taking down the ring, I would have loved to seen it. Exactly, mate. And they do it for a lot of the Attitude Era episodes as well, don't they? Where they show like an extra 10 minutes, which to be honest, a lot of them are just Stone Cold Steve Austin drinking a beer and then, you know, slapping hands with the fans. It seems to be that every episode. So to kind of show some of this like really cool stuff here. um, Yeah, I I think that would be a really cool thing to see. You know, they could take like 10 episodes off at a time, sort them out, put them back on the network again, you know. Definitely, mate. Sadly, um, though, they won't take Captain Wanker off the programming. And we next get a cut to him yelling at his Dayglow Stoner Emporium for no apparent reason. I mean, Danny, is it any wonder that these guys lose more than they win with a leader like him? Oh, no, it's not no wonder at all, mate. But, yeah, um, now I've started calling him Captain Wanker in uh, in real life. <laughs> when I'm talking <laughs> to someone about Bill DeMott, I'm just like, oh, Captain Wanker. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Good man, I like it. But um, I also like Sergeant Awall's new look. Um, you know, you, you've you've really got to say with a guy with a height like that, only he could get away with a ridiculous hairstyle, couldn't he? He really could, mate. And I just brought um, comparisons to um, Heidenreich for him because he kind of had the same look. He did, but he could wrestle. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> And yes, I have called him Sergeant A. Wall, which is his new government name, as I like the wall, so I'm not going to give him a mean nickname. Yeah, that, we love the wall. Um, we, I mean, he's, when he debuted, he was just so impressive. And um, yeah, yeah, it's a sad, it's a sad story. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it, it's sad that he's no longer with us. And it's, it's sad that he didn't really get a chance, because uh, I think... Did he come over with a lot of the WCW guys when WWE bought the company? I think he was in developmental, yeah. Which is odd, really, because if anybody was kind of ready to be on WWE TV, I think it was this guy. And of all the people that were there, you would have thought that he would have been the one that would have been given the chance to succeed more than most. Yeah, absolutely, man. He played the role of bodyguard very, very well. He did like you could, you could really see him as the the heater for the alliance, and then going on to be kind of that test style figure for somebody, you know. But uh, never mind. I, I suppose what what you don't get, you don't miss, dear. Yeah, I mean, maybe we could do an episode on him on the, our main show. I think we should. I mean, he's had enough of a career for us to make a decent episode out of it. I think, bud, that's a good yeah. idea, actually. Nice one. So we then get Booker T making his way into the arena. So he's obviously on Goldberg time now, as the show's been on for at least 10 minutes. Uh, But Tony, I don't pay attention to wrestling Shivani, is shocked that he would be limping. Now, this is the same Booker T, Danny, who the viewers and Tony Shivani have just seen get absolutely paggered in a Nitro clip two segments ago. And he has to ask why he's limping. I mean, goodness me. (laughs) <laughs> you could definitely tell Tom, this was not Tony Schiavone at his best. Exactly. And talking of not at their best, 
we then get Smooth Peanut Butter, who is hanging around outside the gents' toilets, Danny, which I believe they call cottaging. Yes, they do. <laughs> but he proposes that Skipover needs a better name. And I don't know about you, Danny, but I think he also needs a better vest, as he looks ill here, doesn't he? He really does. <laughs> yeah, he, he really does. But... um. It was bang on with that. I mean, we, we said it last time we, we talked about Thunder on last week's show. M.R. Smooth was totally right about the name because the name uh, Skip Over seems like just a, like a joke wrestler, like he'd be in, on a Shotgun Saturday Night or something like that, just as a one-off appearance. I mean, there's, there's no marketability in Skip Over, is there? No, it was a, a terrible name to come up with. But hey, if, if it makes for a one-week storyline, I suppose, fair enough, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talking about a storyline that I'm sick of, we then get WCW's most unlikely couple, Miss Hancock and David Flair, who come out to cut a promo on Major Waste of Money. Miss Hancock states that the mud may actually make Major Waste of Money look better as Sergeant Awall comes out to defend that delicate little flower's honour. And Danny, can we please break this couple up because they look so out of place. They really do. Um, it's just shocking that they were actually a real couple at this at this time, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. Like, it, it just shows that, you know, the one thing that David Flair took from his father was how to charm the ladies because uh, sadly that's all he's really got going for him but as long as he's happy I suppose. Yeah definitely mate. and this uh, gets us into David Flair versus Sergeant Awar in another match. It does and I loved this as a showcase of Sergeant Awar's power I mean he sets his stage out really early with power slams and stomps which allows David to respond with the most ineffective chops I've ever seen before stopping to strut which allows Wall to launch David out of the ring. Flair then tries to level things with a chair but gets that in the face as well before Sergeant A. Wall puts David through a table with a choke slam to get the win and I've got to say Danny as a squash match I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too, mate. And it's important for AWOL, as he's got this new identity, to get a first win like this. Because if he had lost, it would be like, what was the point of just uh, rechanging his gimmick? Exactly. And, you know, it would have also given credence to what Captain Wanker said about him, which was that they didn't know that they could stack crap that high. But thankfully, he took that comment and rammed it down Captain Wanker's throat, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he should take the head position in the MIA, really, because he's more of a leader than uh, Captain Wanker. (laughs) Absolutely. Like, he's the one that seems to be rallying the troops at the moment. And to be perfectly honest, I would probably get behind Sergeant AWOL and Major Guns, I'll give her a proper name, as a pairing, to be honest. They, They actually seem quite cool together. Yeah, yeah. But we then get three anonymous Nitro girls having a chin wag before the debuting Reno approaches one of them, who's apparently called Siren, to ask where she was on Monday. Siren says that she was with the girls, but that absolute king shit Shane Douglas knew better and whispers something in his ear. Now, Danny, I was hoping that he whispered, you need to finish your haircut, but I doubt it as Reno suddenly looks very angry and buggers off. Yeah, he certainly did. (laughs) But yeah, um... I love this because now we, we're seeing 
okay, what's going to happen next? Like, it left, like, a story, another open story there. And I'm actually shocked that Reno debuted here in the backstage segment. I, I thought he always debuted with um, the, not Misfits in Action, Natural Born Thrillers. That's all I thought Yeah, I did. Yeah. I thought it was somebody that just appeared with that group. Uh, no, so to see him appear like this was a bit of a shock to me. Uh, but, Danny, this was around the time that Vince Russo was trying to interject the Nitro Girls into storylines. So what did you think to this decision? I, I mean, for me, it makes sense as it's furthering a storyline. But what do you think about getting the Nitro Girls more involved in wrestling storylines and less involved with dancing? I think it's a good thing because um, it's more characters for wrestlers to bounce off of. Of like like this perf- is a perfect example. It's like okay, now we know uh, we know part of the story why uh, Reno is mad, but we don't know what Siren's um, part of it. So we have to stay tuned to stay tuned to um, find out what she's going to do. Oh, yeah. Well, just wait till you find out what Siren's part of the story is, as as this is one of the storylines that follows on from Nitro. But I will save that for a later date, as we need to talk about Terry Taylor, a.k.a. hashtag FTT, who receives a piece of paper from Skipover. Terry says that he'll make it happen, but we know better than to trust Terry Taylor with anything, don't we, mate? We certainly do. And I just have to say... Him walking into the locker room was the most obvious. Oh, there's a camera there. I've got to show myself off uh, without looking at the camera. <laughs> so he was definitely hogging for the camera in this. Oh, definitely. I mean, say what you will about Terry Taylor, but he knows how to ham it up, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely. We then get a quick cut to the heel locker room as Jeff Jarrett wants to talk to Vampiro about their elimination tag tonight. But Vampiro isn't all that interested because he's a juggalo now, you see, Danny. And since we're juggalos ourselves, all we care about is drinking Fago and whooping all the time. Absolutely. But I've got a couple in my fridge still. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really? Yeah, the post office down the road does them. Oh, wow. That's ace. I'll have to come yeah. to London more often. Yeah, I'll save you some. <laughs> <laughs> Good lad. But also speaking of very cool things, we now get our Tank Abbott segment of the week as he has some amazing news for three count. What's the video? Eight, six, hey, three count. Three count, three count, man. I've got important news, man. Last night when I was in the bar, I wrote a song. Man, this thing is going to be huge. This is going to be bigger and thriller. We got to go tape it now while you guys still have the record contract. Come on, man, let's go. He certainly does. And this was totally believable. You would really see someone like Tank Abbott in the back, uh, in the back of a bar writing a song. And I bet, he, I bet he, he did it in no less than 15 seconds. I bet he did, mate, and I bet it'll be better than anything written by the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, or the Insane Clown Posse combined. And apparently it's certainly going to be bigger than Thriller. Oh, wow, yeah. So that's that's a big shoes to fill. So, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, and this is another example of Tank maximising his time as well, because he's on the show for no longer than about 30 seconds but he certainly does kind of, you know, build your interest into what's going to happen next, doesn't it? Which I suppose we'll find out on our next review. Yeah, definitely, mate. 
But Danny, when I found the timestamp for the tank segment, I came to the realisation that everything we had just seen and covered had occurred in just 21 minutes. I mean, most shows don't cram all this into two hours, do they? No, certainly not. And do you want to know what segment the tank had? Because uh, I counted all the segments back. This is the ninth segment of the show. Goodness me, in 21 minutes. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah, but it's so good as well because you, you're just sat there watching it and you're just like, there's not a moment that you're bored. You're like, you're not looking away because you don't know what's going to happen next. No, exactly. And that is, we, we say it a lot, but that is the cool thing about these WCW shows in the year 2000 in that if you've tuned in to watch this, you've got to hold your attention because you could really miss something. And it's it's something that Vince Russo's good at as a as a writer and a booker and I know that's probably going to get me a lot of hate because I know he has some very odd takes these days and he says a lot of things that I don't agree with but you can't deny the fact that he knows how to grab people's eyes you know to actually get them watching what he's putting together yeah absolutely but we soon go to ringside to see Billy Kidman take on skip over or should I say elix skipper Danny Prime time player. Um, exactly. He's just got a new name now. Um, when I saw that, I thought to myself, why not just call him Prime Time Elite Skipper? <laughs> exactly. But one thing we do know is that a young Darren Young and Titus O'Neill obviously loved themselves some thunder, didn't they? Because you know that's there's something to be said for the fact that that's their tag team name. It certainly is. And I'm just, as you said that, I just can't remember their uh, catchphrase. Do you remember millions of dollars? That's it. Yeah, millions of dollars. That's it. Millions of dollars, millions of dollars, millions of dollars. <laughs> I love me some primetime players, man. I really did. Yeah, they're really, really underrated, especially with um, the manager, AW. But Kidman didn't love himself any primetime player here, and baseball slides Skipper out to the floor. We then get back in and Kidman sends him into the turnbuckle, but Skipper debuts the Matrix move to avoid a crossbody. A head scissors from Skipper puts Kidman down, only to have him come back with a drop kick to the face. This brings out Shane and Torrey as Kidman goes for the BK bomb, only to have Reno come in and lay him out with a roll of the dice. Skipper then adds the rocker dropper for the academic win. So Danny, this is where we get our recap from Nitro as the episode that we skipped has the infamous Viagra on a pole match, which Kidman lost, and as a result of losing it, got a load of Viagra shoved down his gob. Therefore, uh -huh. the three Nitro girls we saw earlier, including Siren, realised that the only way to cure Kidman of his affliction was to bang him senseless. <laughs> Oh my god, wrestling is silly, isn't it? <laughs> wrestling is silly, and of course, as we found out tonight, it turned out that one of them was Reno's missus, hence the otherwise senseless interference here. Yeah, definitely, mate. Um, I just had one small problem with the finish of this um, match, uh, mate. Mm -hmm. So, should Elix Skipper have been shown a little bit more, like remorse of like oh he i mean he kind of heelishly won this match when um you had the run in and then he just took advantage of it and just won like that or i mean in your eyes do you think he he won this in like kind of like a non-sympathetic way 
Yeah, I think he did. But to be fair, he's he's facing a guy that's actually a mega heel in Billy Kidman. So in in my opinion, the way that the year 2000 of WCW treats the wrestlers, I think everybody's a bit opportunistic, really, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Now you say that, it makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. And Elix Skipper isn't a baby face for long either, sadly, but I'm sure we'll get to see that in the coming weeks. Uh, but we now see the cat with Mike Awesome, who promises Mike a title shot at New Blood Rising if Cat wins the title tonight. And I really liked the tying up of a loose end here, Danny, as Awesome is supposed to be the number one contender to face Storm at New Blood Rising. Yeah, it really worked well. There was just one thing at the beginning of the show. Uh, Tony Schiavone and Mike Tanay were discussing Mike Holstam's, um his motivations for the pay-per-view. And Tony Schiavone said, Mike Holstam doesn't care about the titles. He just wants Landstorm. And here he is in the backstage area whining about the uh, title matches at the pay-per-view. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like it contradicts itself a little bit. It does. Uh, but hey, you know, some wrestling fans in 2023 that have never watched WCW in 2000 would make the argument of that's what WCW did in 2000, which was contradict. Yeah. The king's shit, Shane Douglas, is in the back again and calls Judy Bagwell a redneck her, making him a babyface in my eyes, Danny, as Judy really should have been looking where she was going. Yeah, certainly. I mean, but she did take that bump. I mean, she didn't flinch, did she, when Shane Douglas full pelted into her? Well, no, of course not. I mean, she's she's obviously the Stone Cold Steve Austin of WCW, isn't she? <laughs> she's certainly being booked that way. <laughs> she is. So Bagwell comes out to defend the honour of his mam, and the two have to be pulled apart. Now, Danny, I wanted their feud to carry on for a little bit longer a few months back, so I'm happy that we're going to get to see these two square off again. Yeah, me too. I mean, I love them as a tag team, and I mean, they just work so well together, whether it's in a team or against each other. And yeah, yeah, can't wait for tonight. Yeah, and talking of two people that faced off surprisingly well, we go back to the ring as one half of perennial one man's meat favourites Sean O'Hare takes on one half of the Genetti twins and the true Genetti of that combination, Sean Stasiak. We also get Chuck Palumbo sitting in on commentary. And what did you think to the job he did here, Danny? I think it wasn't too bad. Um, I mean, you could tell he wasn't this. I don't know if this is his first attempt at commentary, but um, I didn't think he did too bad. He pushed along the storylines. Um, and I, I think it was him who noticed who noted down this is the battle of the Shawns. Yeah, it was. And I think he did a, a really good job here. I mean, I think this was all designed to kind of um, give Stevie Ray something to do on commentary, as in, you know, he's also protecting everybody from Chuck Palumbo with his role of a wrestler. So, yeah, I, I think he did a good job as an antagonist here, to be fair. Yeah, it, it really played up the heel antics. He did. So O'Hare nails a super kick to start, only to miss a charge in the corner. This gives Stasiak the upper hand as he chokes and elbows while Stevie talks about ballet for some reason. Stasiak's Death Valley driver is countered into a DDT, but O'Hare's comeback is cut short as he's sent out to the floor. And Mike Tanay was impeccable here, Danny, detailing O'Hare's previous credentials. But as we found out, Stevie Ray wasn't listening, was he? (laughs) 
He certainly wasn't. He was too busy stopping Chuck Palumbo from trying to interfere. He was, and he did a good job of that as Palumbo loads up the exercise bar, but Stevie pulls him back into his seat. Stasiak gets two off of a perfect plex as Jindrak catches a knock from Stasiak from the apron, allowing O'Hare to pop up with the spin wheel kick and the Shanton bomb for the win. And our boy gets a good win here. And again, the artist formerly known as Meat didn't suck too much, did he? No, he certainly didn't. But I'm so glad the right man won, the right Sean won this match. He certainly did in the Battle of the Shawns. And uh, don't get me wrong, I still don't think that Stasiak has it. So this is more of a testament to O'Hare making his opponent look good, I think. Yeah, definitely. And who couldn't love the Sean Time bomb? I know, he nails it perfectly, doesn't he? He probably nails it better than Jeff Hardy, which I know is quite a controversial take. No, I would I would agree with that. I mean, the size of Sean O'Hare as well makes it more look more impressive. And to be honest, it looks like he's almost hurting himself when he's doing it. It looks like he's landing straight on his um on his neck. Yeah, it does, yeah, given the, the angle of that, it certainly does, doesn't it? But uh, yeah. that's that's the beauty of Sean O'Hare. Like you said, it's his um it's his musculature that maybe looks it a lot more impressive, doesn't it? Yeah. So we then cut to Gene Oakland, who is in a neck brace while talking to the Bagwells. Now, Danny, we're led to believe that Positively Canyon was to blame for this, but this was actually a trick that Vets taught WCW to stop Gene from licking his bits on camera. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, do you know, when I watched this... Um... I noticed uh, it just it dawned on me when I saw Gene Oakland here, either he hadn't been using his hair dye or something, but to me, he just looked old. And maybe it's, it could be because I've been watching so much WCW 1996, but I was like, get this man a hair, like a dye job or something, because I just felt like he'd aged like about 40 years. Um, I, I just wasn't feeling Gene here. I don't know what it was. No, it wasn't a great week for him, was it, really? And uh, another thing that's happening with Gene at the moment, which happens a lot in 2000, which I really don't like, is that he starts sassing the wrestlers off a lot more and he's being a lot more abusive, whereas before he'd be quite clever in the things that he said to them so that they didn't realise that they were actually getting, you know, the rag knocked out of them here. But, yeah, yeah, they seem to make it really blatant with Gene and... To me, it kind of takes away a lot of the believability because yes. if any of these well-trained, like physically at their peak guys decided to take umbrage with what Gene was saying to them and give him a good pasting, then it just looks bad, doesn't it? It really does, mate. And it's like you, you've just nailed it dead on there. I mean, he had so much credibility built up um, being a straight man, basically. He'd get the odd comment in here or there against the hill but nothing like this and I felt like he looked younger on when he came back to the WWE in 2001 and he was doing confidential he looked younger there uh two years three years after this than here I mean I just yeah I just felt like me and Gene was just in a bad place at this point well maybe it's the toll of thirsting after the likes of Major Guns and Miss Hancock it's it's finally got to him you know (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) But going back to the segment, Buff wants Shane tonight and makes jokes about his performance issues from last week, while Judy swears a lot 
because it's funny, apparently. And this is what WCW was missing in the year 2000. A chunky Southern housewife doing a Stone Cold gimmick. Yeah, it certainly was. Yeah, you could definitely tell because now she's being put on a weekly sort of thing. It's like, yeah, we've got to get Judy Bagwell doing just outrageous things that you'd see on on the Jerry Springer show. That's it. But, Danny, I'll give her three stars for the Deirdre Barlow glasses. (laughs) Yep, three stars. (laughs) We then cut to Chronic and Sting, who look worried about Booker T going into our main event. Um, Not much else to say there, but I'm loving this fighting champion gimmick on Booker T. I wish we'd got it in WWE, but it's a really underrated thing in WCW in their later years. It really is, mate. And I love the visual. The next visual we get is Sting just chilling in the locker room with Cronach. And that just looks really impressive. Just the three of them just sitting there. It just looks, wow. Just looks badass. It does. Yeah, they, they looked really good together, actually, these three, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, I wish they were a stable, to be honest. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that would have been quite cool. Yeah. We then see Lance Storm preparing himself to hopefully go 2-0 as he defends the Saskatchewan Hardcore Invitational title against Screaming Norman Smiley. And Big Vito comes out on commentary. The Canadian flag comes down again, but the music stops halfway through, allowing Norman to come out with the American flag. We're not ready yet though, Danny, as the Canadian rulebook states that the title has to be defended with no weapons and the match can only end via submission so again we get to see these amazing heel tactics once again absolutely mate and it's like okay i'm gonna watch i'm gonna watch thunder to see a hardcore match and then lance storm just rips that apart from you and he's like he just takes that whole thing away from you by saying no outside materials not even calling them weapons I, i think that's such a great heel move it is. And again, this is one of the matches where I thought Stevie Ray did an excellent job on commentary as he picks up on the fact that Norman Smiley is actually a decent technical wrestler himself. So, you yeah. know, this wouldn't necessarily be an advantage in Storm's favour. So that was really clever stuff on his part, I thought. Yeah, it really was, mate. And it's like, yeah, we've got to educate the fans as well because that's part of their job. So, yeah, really, really well done to them. It was, and we start really well with wrist locks being traded before a pinfall reversal sequence ends up not going anywhere, so Norman elbows him in the face. Norman then stops to tease the big wiggle, though, which allows Storm to come back with a nice dropkick. Vito sounds annoyed that Norman is wrestling in a shirt as Smiley Splash hits knees. So it turns out, Danny, that Big Vito wasn't a fan of what I call the TNA babyface outfit. No. <laughs> It wasn't, was he? He just, uh, um, he was like, oh, it's, got, it's a shame he's wearing that shirt because he's got an incredible body underneath. But yeah, yeah, he he was a bit upset. He was. <laughs> the swinging slam sets up the big wiggle, but the referee gets bumped, allowing Storm to hit Smiley with the American flag before hitting the Canadian maple leaf to retain in what was another good match from Storm. And this is what we get when a character is well written here, as Storm is blatantly an excellent wrestler who could win on skill alone, but he knows when to cheat when odds are stacked against him. It's simple, Danny, but it's effective. So true, mate, so true. And I love, I got a kick out of the fact that the crowd were chanting USA and Norman Smiley, who was born in London, wasn't he? Yeah, and he's billed from being from Northampton. So, yeah, you know, 
very much the proud American of uh, apple pie and mom, wasn't he? Yeah, he certainly was. <laughs> <laughs> so we next see Shane Douglas and Tori Wilson again. Tori threatens to sue Judy Bagwell if she gets in her business. And again, there's not much more to add here, is there? No, there, there isn't. But um, yeah, it, it, just more of mean genes. I just wrote down, just I just couldn't they have got someone else for this night because he just wasn't feeling it for this. But yeah, um, Tori just saying that she would sue Judy Bagwell. I thought she says, oh, I don't, I'm not a, a fighter, so I, I could sue her. I was like, just wouldn't you want to wouldn't Tori Wilson want to fight Judy Bagwell because she's way more athletic than Judy Bagwell but yeah I just thought this was a bit weird no um I did as well to be honest it was a, a bit of an odd segment to put in in fact it was probably just to lead into the next match as we then get Shane yeah. Douglas versus Buff Bagwell and um, Bagwell starts fast by hammering away in the corner and grabbing the swinging neck breaker and a Vader bomb gets two on Shane, so Tori trips Buff, allowing Shane to get in an atomic drop. Shane then hits the three Amigos, surprisingly, and a power slam, followed by the Pittsburgh plunge for two. Tori throws in a chair, so here's Judy to start a cat fight. This prompts Kidman to run in to drop kick the chair into Shane's face, setting up the blockbuster to give Buff the pin. And for me, Danny, this was an average match to keep the Kidman-Douglas feud going. But it was entertaining for what it was. It really was, mate. And I love Mike Tenet's uh, oversell when the cat fight happened. He was like, ah, it's a cat fight. And I was just, I was like, come on, Mike Tenet. <laughs> You've still got credibility here. <laughs> and it certainly isn't a patch on the Joey Styles cat fight call, is it? No, definitely not. <laughs> So post-match, Tori goes after Judy again, but here's Positively Canyon to help beat down Mama Bagwell. Buff makes a save, but walks into a canyon cutter onto the chair, causing Mike Awesome to come in to make the save as well. Then after the break, Buff gets off the stretcher and says he wants to fight Canyon tonight, but Mike Awesome steps in to say that he'll do it himself, and apparently Mike thinks Judy is good-looking. <laughs> Oh man, just Michael in WCW, just a waste. Most definitely. Sting then tells Booker that he doesn't have to fight on that bad leg, but Booker wants to take out that sucker. So you've got to let him, haven't you? Yeah, you'd think so. <laughs> <laughs> we then cut to ringside where we get told that we're going to a Vince Russo shoot interview. But we don't, do we? No, I was very disappointed. Uh when that happened, I was thinking, okay, maybe they're showing it after. Um, but then I looked at the timestamp and it said um, this episode was one min- one hour and 19 minutes rather than one hour and 32 minutes or something like that. So I was like, oh, they've cut that. So I dug into this. I mean, we I don't know if you want to get into it now or at the oh, end. Totally. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. Um, luckily, yeah. Danny found a transcript from the live taping itself. So what was said, bro? Nothing, really. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing that that we haven't heard in the previous uh, 20 years. But no, I'm sure this was revolutionary because this was shown to the live crowd in the arena only. It was cut from the original uh, broadcast. And it was basically Vince Russo just going on about um, him being forced to work with Eric Bischoff. Just basically points that we've just talked, we've heard Vince Russo, Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan talk about in the 
22 years, 23 years preceding this. But um, and he also hyped the uh, Goldberg, Nash and Scott Steiner situation. And um, yeah, it was kind of like what well, we we talked about it last time with the Goldberg um, interview that uh, Scott Hudson did. It was kind of like yeah, we're doing a work shoot promo uh, interview. Um, I would have loved to have seen this, to be honest with you, but um, especially for the time. Yeah, it would have been a, a cool little curio to have. You know, they could have maybe put it on the hidden gems section of the network. And I kind of get the feeling that if Vince Russo was a little bit less persona non grata with the WWE, we would maybe get to see it. But I mean, who knows? Yeah. I mean, it it could be that you know, real of this doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah, and the fact that it was just show, just showing to the fans in the live. Uh, arena intrigues me as well because if the, if this was shown now someone would have had a, a phone to film this and then it would have ended up all over social media um that just a sign of the times that oh yeah yeah most definitely um so in, instead of getting to see the shoot interview we get taken straight to the fat chick thriller mike awesome versus positively canyon and before the match we've got to take the time for Mike to reiterate that Judy is good looking. And I'll say this once, I'll say it a thousand times. Danny, why are we getting a Judy Bagwell push? I have no idea. I think the only thing more upsetting than that was when Michaelson grabbed the microphone and says, I have vitamin P for passion. And he <laughs> pointed to his crotch and it was just like, oh man, just... I mean, I haven't seen too much of Michaels. The first time I saw Michaelson was from ECW One That Stand 2005, and I was blown away. And now to look at this is like this is a, it's the same guy, but a completely different direction. Yeah, um, like I say, I I don't know whether Rob or Dan would agree with me, but I genuinely think that Mike Awesome is one of the greatest missed opportunities in mainstream wrestling you've only got to look at his ecw stuff to see what he can do with a range of opponents a lot of people point to the fact that he had opponents the like of spike dudley or mike lockwood that would make him look good because of their size but then he would have the same sort of matches with the likes of masato tanaka bam bam bigelow ulf herman jerry lynn Rob Van Dam at one point, you know, this is a guy that was very adaptable in his style, wasn't afraid to make it look like he was putting his body at risk, and he was very marketable. He had an amazing look. He's proved that he can talk a bit, you know, he's not the best promo in the world, but he can say what needs to be said. And he's got that Hulk Hogan connection as well through Horace. I mean, what what's, what's to say that, you know, if they did anything else with this guy, if he was just Mike Awesome, career killer, but as a baby face, they could have really done something with him here in WCW. But instead, they had to keep trying and failing to give this man a character. Yeah, it's such a shame. But someone we are happy to see, though, is Positively Canyon. Yes, we are. And he brings the fire immediately. I actually loved this, that he actually charges in, allowing Awesome to run him over with a clothesline. And 
Um, we get commentary talking about the Russo shoot and the three-way at New Blood Rising, but it's Stevie that actually brings it back to focus as Canyon hits Awesome Lure to slam him out of the corner. Um, and I loved that, to be honest. Like, you don't get that with the WCW commentary in that somebody on that team says, you know, can we actually get to the point of what we're watching here? Yeah, nailed it bang on, mate. And it's like, yeah, um, but unfortunately it just doesn't end up that way because um then judy bagwell arrives doesn't she <laughs> yeah she does so the the lead up to this is canyon taking umbrage with the relatively slow counts from the referee apparently and lays out charles robinson for no apparent reason before giving several production guys canyon cutters but out comes stone cold judy bagwell with a loaded purse to knock canyon silly setting up the awesome bomb to give mike the pin and while this was an okay match, Danny, uh, as as the weeks go on with this Positively Canyon character, which I love, I'm ready for DDP to come back now and face him. Yeah, absolutely, mate. But we then get some entertainment as we get our third Lance Storm match of the evening as he prepares to defend his Canadian heavyweight championship versus Ernest the Cat Miller. And if there's one complaint I can make about this match, only for the fact that it is a very, very long-winded one, and I've had to find this out of nowhere. Those chop marks on Storm's chest looked a little bit too fresh to be from a match. Yeah, they, they looked a bit... OK, we'll just sit you down, because they were um, kind of putting backstage segments of Landstorm just like showing that he was exhausted, he poured water on his head. So they were really trying to drive home the fact that he is exhausted from wrestling... Uh, these two, two matches that probably didn't go over seven minutes. No, exactly. And in each and every one of his matches, he looks a lot fresher than the opponent is facing as well, doesn't he? <laughs> he does, yeah. <laughs> Which is certainly true here with Old Cat, but Ernest manages to interrupt the national anthem one more time to kick Storm in the face. We then get back into the ring and they slug it out with Cat taking over before taking Storm down with the low blow. Storm Sunset Flip is broken up by dancing, a crotch chop, and a shot to the face. Those 2,000 tropes, eh, Dan? Yep, <laughs> they're certainly on point here. <laughs> they are. The guys then head outside with Storm super kicking Ernest to take over, followed by the springboard missile drop kick back inside. And that has got to be one of the most beautiful moves I've seen from Lance Storm, is that missile drop kick from the top. Yeah, it was really, really... I mean, he nails it so perfectly. Um, at this point, um, Stevie Ray, Tony Schiavone and um, Mike Tanay just uh, debate about if the cat has been in the gym or if he's been doing too much paperwork. And I found that a bit odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it certainly exposes the fact that this guy hasn't been in the ring a lot lately, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I found that a bit weird because... You're kind of just telling us who's going to win this because you're like, oh, the cat's not ready. He's too focused on other things. So, yeah. Exactly. But the cat must have been listening as he, he tries to impress commentary with an awesome looking feliner to knock Storm into the referee, allowing the great Mooter to run in and give Cat a picture perfect dragon screw leg whip before the Canadian Maple Leaf gives Storm the easy submission. And while it's plain to see that the cat hasn't really wrestled much, Landstorm makes his opponent look like a million dollars here, doesn't he, mate? 
He really does, mate. And I just, yeah, this was this whole show to me was about Landstorm, and he performed well in each of his matches. Yeah, this was a good match. And then we get our upcoming good match uh, build-ups as our good guys for the main event are with Mean Gene. And the lads promise to win as the other team are player haters. And I love here how Gene is very deliberate with naming, you know, Sting as Sting, Booker T as Booker T, and then refers to Chronic as members of Chronic. I mean, could he not be like Sting, Booker T? Brian, Brian. <laughs> he certainly couldn't, but yeah, members of Chronic. That sounds like a stable itself. It does. It's like we're we're led to believe that there's more than two members of Chronic. You know, from say members of Chronic. Um, yeah, good old Gene. He's he's really not firing on all cylinders tonight, is he? He's not. But that's just made me think. Who would you put from uh, um, this roster in the uh, Chronic stable if you could? Okay, so the name Chronic is a bit of a play on weed and marijuana culture. So it's got to be, with with the exception of Captain Wanker, Major Waste of Money and um, Major Run Over Your Daughter and um, Drive Off, it's got to be the remaining members of Captain Wanker's Stoner Emporium, surely. Ah, Chavo Guerrero and Lash LaRue. Yeah, and Sergeant Airwall, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. How could we forget him? <laughs> exactly. Although, as his T-shirt was given to believe, he was straight edge. Yeah. <laughs> I I would have put Mike Awesome in it just to save him yeah. from that chick thriller gimmick. Um, I think he could have fit. He, he had the long hair. Uh, he had the size. Um, yeah, I would have put him in this. Yeah, That's it. And if you play to the fact that like Sting was alluding that chronic sound was a, re- a reference to um, chronic pain during this promo. I think yeah. Mike Orson would fit that perfectly, you know, with his yeah. move set and what have you. That's Absolutely. a really good idea, Danny. Oh, thank you, mate. Yeah, that would just anything to save him from the uh, further embarrassment of this gimmick they've put him in. <laughs> exactly. And of course, given the, um, you know, the nice, normal gentleman names that uh, chronic have in Brian and Brian, They've, they've then got a mic, haven't they? You know, just to, just to further add to that, they they sound yeah. like they own a, a a window cleaning business rather <laughs> than being, uh, you know, big beefy wrestlers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But hopefully, you never know; it could happen. <laughs> no, only one of them's still alive, aren't they? Oh yeah, God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just picturing Brian Clark on a on a bike with all of his window cleaning tools. Now. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Hey, it, it, it would have worked in the new generation era, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it would have, mate. It would have. <laughs> we then get to something that doesn't work for me at all, mate, which was a way, 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 hey, hey, too long video package on Major Guns versus Miss Hancock. Now, I can see that they want to plug this as a match people want to watch on the pay-per-view, but it's hardly the Mega Powers explode, is it? It's certainly not, but what it is, is our 25th segment of the night. Whoa, mama. That's bad. (laughs) It's packed. There's no doubt in that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, in terms of like, I mean, it's basically just, like you said, they just want to hype up the pay-per-view. But 
all they did to hype up the pay-per-view was basically this. Uh, the only video they showed was this, wasn't it? It wasn't the uh, triple threat uh, Goldberg, Nash and Steiner match or it wasn't the World Championship match. It was the rip-off the camouflage match that they chose to go with. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it wasn't until you alluded to the Nash-Goldberg-Steiner situation on Russo's shoot interview that I remembered that that was the triple threat match here. And yeah, you would have thought they would have at least given a couple of seconds to talk about it on commentary, wouldn't you? Yeah. But segment 26 is Vampiro telling Demon that he's on his own at New Blood Rising and that he wants nothing to do with Jarrett after tonight. But tonight, Danny, apparently the freaks have come out to play. They certainly have, mate. And they're coming out to team with Jeff Jarrett. (laughs) Exactly. But before they do... We get Jarrett coming out here talking to Mean Gene, calling him a broke neck slap nut, which is quite appropriate for the night he's had, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. And we allude to the fact that Jeff isn't much of a dark carnival fan either, which I think is nice foreshadowing for the match that we're going to get. Yeah, definitely. But we then get our main event of the evening as the team of Booker T, Sting, Brian and Brian face the mid-card one, Jeff Jarrett, and the Dark Carnival. And I've got to say, mate, the build to this this week has been really good, quite understated, and I was really looking forward to watching this match. Yeah, me too, mate. I mean, it's it's basically a, a classic Survivor Series match, isn't it, with uh, the uh, elimination. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I was really looking forward to this as well. Yeah, and we start with a crazy brawl with the good guys cleaning house and Booker's knee is strong enough for a sidekick to the face. So um, so much for all that limping as he doesn't even sell it, does he? No, they've been selling, they've been hyping up this uh, injury for the last hour plus and then he comes out and kicks someone right in the face. <laughs> Absolutely. But this allows Muta to sneak in and go after Booker as we hear about Sting being on Vampiro with a chair. But of course, we don't get to see it as we need to see Brian number one cleaning house inside the ring. And going back to the start of this match, Daniel, I was a little bit annoyed that we didn't get to hear Sting's Metallica theme. I know. Sometimes what I do when I'm watching these, I'll mute the TV and play it on my phone just so I can see. Because it's so, there's not a lot of footage out there of, of Sting having that entrance, is there? No. And was this the network dub that you were referring to earlier, the one that you didn't like? Yeah. I mean, Sting at this point wasn't the same Sting of 1997, was he? I mean, he was much no. more talkative, uh, much more, had a lot more facial expressions. Um, his body language was completely different. Even his hair was different. And it's like, uh, even the way he walks during his entrance is not is not matching up with the music that they put on, which is his classic 1997 theme song. Mm. So, um, yeah, I just just wasn't a fan of it at all. No, I mean, I'll be honest. Like for me, if they had wanted to have a theme music that was a little bit more fast paced, I would have gone with the theme that Sting had before his Slam Jam theme. Um, which is, you know, quite a fast-paced guitar theme. Um, you know, you, you you hear it a lot in the late 80s and 
early 90s before they bring out the Slam Jam soundtrack, I'd have probably gone back to that rather than, you know, putting money behind something that they'd never be able to use again with any kind of streaming and stuff. Although I suppose they weren't thinking about streaming at the time, were they? No, and it's such a shame. But yeah, this, um, I mean, I just wish we'd have that, that at least that Metallica. I mean, Metallica's on good terms with WWE. I thought they would have just thrown them a bone, but I guess they okay. need to put, put WCW down. Exactly. But the two Bryans put Muta down with high times to eliminate him before Ernest the Cat Miller comes out to go after him as Ginger Referee breaks up high times to Jarrett through a table. But that's fine with Chronic as they chokeslam Ginger Referee instead, earning themselves a double elimination. So we get down to two versus three in a relatively short amount of time, don't we? Yeah, definitely do, mate. I mean, when you watch this on the network, I think it was something like nine minutes they had, which is quite long uh, compared to a lot of main events we've sat through. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's certainly long by WCW standards, isn't it? Yeah. So Sting gets triple teamed by Jarrett, Demon and Vampiro before Slick Johnson does his best Aubrey Edwards impression as the match actually settles down. Jarrett lures Booker in so that they can not cheat in the slightest, before it's off to Vampiro to stay on Sting. They clash in the middle, but Sting manages to tag in Booker to clean house. Vampiro and Demon get the brunt, though, as Jarrett walks out on the jugglers to get counted out, before double finishes give Sting and Booker the double pin to wrap it up abruptly, Wrestling Society X style. And we get the typical chaotic TV main event here, Danny. And the average fan on Twitter in 2023 would say that this match needed to breathe, but it didn't really, did it? It was all set up to be a TV spectacle, and that's what we got here. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And I love the finish of it, where Sting and Booker T are just hitting their finishes at the same time. It was very, very cool looking. And yeah, it just works perfectly, because even Jeff Jarrett running away just fits his character so good as well because he'll be like, I'll be fighting next time. Yeah, that's what I liked about this because he he didn't hide the fact that he wasn't particularly keen on teaming with these guys in the first place. So for him to leave the match in the way that he did, um, I thought it was quite a clever touch, really. Like, all he's focused on is facing Booker T. Like, he didn't want any part of the match. So he wanted to get away as soon as possible. So it's it's quite quite clever thinking here, really. Yeah, definitely. So, mate, we get a fast-paced show that has a runtime of just over an hour. But as usual, I loved it. I mean, you you certainly couldn't just have it on in the background, as there was a lot to take in and enjoy here. But what did you think to this edition of WCW Thunder? Yeah, I really, really liked it. It was just like, wow, you just could not um, look away from television because you'd missed something of uh, these 28 segments. (laughs) You'd miss, like anything that there were so many stories that were going on um in terms of the wrestling yeah there were some good matches in this as well um i would say a bit too much judy bagwell for my um liking but what can you do (laughs) well seemingly nothing yes i i i think hell's gonna have to freeze over until we uh, end up not having to see her again yeah But we hope you guys like at least what you've heard, as you can't see us yet, as we currently don't have a YouTube account. But if you want to stay in line with what is happening with One Man's Meat, you can follow us at One Man's Meat Pod on Twitter to be one of the first 
to get the latest news on what is happening in the year of One Man's Meat 2023. And also, guys, we would be remiss if we didn't recommend giving the Unbooking the Tankatory account a follow at UTT Tank. And if you do subscribe to UTT Tank, you can get tank facts. For instance, Danny, there are rumours flying around that Bray Wyatt has left the WWE. There are also rumours that at Raw is 30, The Undertaker whispered, they're planning to book you against Tank Abbott. <laughs> I love that. And it just makes all the sense in the world. Totally. Like, you know, I wouldn't want to face him now either, even if it was 23 years since his physical prime. I mean, this guy has a, a permanent prime, doesn't he? Yeah, he really does, yeah. <laughs> also, the greatest ever acting performance from an athlete was Tank Abbott on Friends. That yeah. year, the Emmy Awards had an asterisk next to every category, excluding Tank Abbott. Otherwise, he'd have won every single one of them. Yeah, it would it would have been unfair to the rest of the actors. <laughs> it would. But also, Danny, Tank Abbott calls Jeff Bezos poor. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm saying wow, but it's hardly surprising because Tank is the richest man in the world. He is. He's got a house made completely of gold bullion, hasn't he? <laughs> yes. And finally, Tank doesn't know how to sell being dazed because he has no real world experience. The closest he's ever got to registering a punch was when he got clipped by an 18-wheeler. It's true. I've looked back on that article. Yep, it's very, very true. <laughs> it's very, very true, ladies and gentlemen. And like a free-rolling 18-wheeler, we will be back with you Sherman Tankers in two weeks to take a look at what Tank Abbott got up to on Nitro. But in the meantime and in between time, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. And stay beefy. Meat Cider!